It's special order time again this year, and all you home educators are wondering which language arts curriculum you should choose. This podcast will provide you with information you need to know in order to order what you need to design the perfect course of study for your students. According to the Learning First Alliance, there are nine essential elements to teaching reading to students of all levels of literacy, and quite honestly, I haven't seen any one single curriculum that is stellar at all nine of these components. Thus, it is up to you as the home educator to assess your curriculum in each of these areas and bolster your program where it is lacking. As a swim instructor, I learned that it is essential to break swimming into all of its components in order to compose an effective swimming program. As someone who has been swimming all your life, you're probably thinking, hmm, arm pulls and kicks, what else could possibly make up swimming? Well, trust me, there's a lot more. I teach breathing and getting comfortable with submersion by doing bobs and bubbles. Then we work on balance in the water with glides and floats. There's a whole lot of work to do before swimming students are going to be able to propel themselves through the water with kicks and pulls. Well, as someone who's been reading all your life, it's probably been a very long time since you've held a book upside down and tried to read it, or ripped a page when trying to turn it. Honestly, reading does not come naturally to most of us. We all start out pretty clumsy when it comes to interacting with text, just like we were at our first swim lesson. So here we go, the nine components of effective research-supported reading instruction. Number one, phonemic awareness, letter knowledge, and concepts of print. This includes holding a book correctly and not ripping the pages when you turn them. It also includes knowing the names of the letters and not just the sounds they make. Though this is a very base of literacy, please do not assume that your student has mastered this just because he or she is no longer in kindergarten or first grade. According to the Learning First Alliance, explicit instruction and sound identification, matching, segmentation, and blending, when linked appropriately to sound symbol association, reduces the risk of reading failure and accelerates early reading and spelling acquisition for all children. If your student is struggling with spelling or doesn't like reading, there's a good chance your student needs more practice and instruction in this area. Just as a 12-year-old who hates getting his face wet in swim class would need to spend more time doing bobs and blowing bubbles. It's never too late to master the basics. Number two, alphabetic code, also known as phonics and decoding. Good readers will rely on context to attach meaning to the sounds of symbols they make. That's why phonics readers have a little picture of a cat sitting on the mat above the text the cat sat on the mat. Eventually, a reader will be able to attach meaning to words by drawing upon knowledge and experience in their minds to understand the context of the words they're deciphering. Number three, fluency. There is so much to say about fluency. Fluency deserves its own podcast for sure, so keep an eye out for one coming soon. What exactly is fluency? When we're talking about reading, it's when reading happens automatically or naturally. How does reading become automatic? Well, how does any task become automatic or fluent? holding a spoon, driving a car. Stop and think about it. When does anything become so natural that you can do it without thinking about it? Were you a good driver your first day or even your first year behind the wheel? Did you become a good driver by watching your parents drive? Will your children become good swimmers if you take them to lots of swim meets to watch the pros? No, fluency grows out of ample amounts of practice. So let's return to our swimming analogy. Would you develop swim fluency by throwing your child into the deep end? 
Conversely, would your child ever learn to propel themselves through the water if you never let go of the child, if you support them the whole time you're in the pool together? How fluent of swimmer will they become if they never gain the confidence it takes to leave the shallow end where they can reach? Think about it. How is reading fluency anything like this? Like a good swimmer and swim instructor, a good reading instructor provides ample opportunities for the student to safely practice all the skills or components they are ready to do independently. There's a quote from the Reading Rockets article linked below. Thus, the concept of independent reading is important. It is at that level at which the child recognizes more than 95% of the words and can read without laboring over decoding. Just as you would assist Assess how well your child can propel themselves through the water in order to determine how far away from the wall you should stand to catch them when they jump, or if they're ready to leave the shallow end without a flotation device. You must assess your students' independent reading levels and provide them ample opportunities to practice. Using leveled readers is a good start. The more they read, the more confident they will become, but only if they are reading text for which they are ready. Expecting them to read books they are not ready for may be similar to throwing a beginning swimmer into the deep end of the pool. It could result in frustration or even fear and anxiety. So, knowing your student's reading level first is the first step toward reading literacy. Vocabulary, number four. Obviously, students need to understand the meaning of the words they are reading in order to comprehend the meaning of the text they are reading. Every reading curriculum I've ever encountered provides ample word lists composed from words found within the text, and you'll find words to study in science and social studies curriculum as well. School-aged children learn several thousand words per year, and that's great, but let's imagine that the words are tools. Imagine having all the tools or words you could possibly use somewhere in your workshop or your mind. How useful are they if you can't find them when you need them? How skillful will you be with that tool or word the first time you pick it up or encounter it in your reading? Good reading instruction will provide guidance toward organization of these tools, like buying a great new toolbox. But having a good toolbox is, still isn't enough. Students need to know what tools are for in order to know which drawers to put them in. Then, when they need them, they'll be able to retrieve them easily. Now that they can find them easily, they'll be more likely to use them, which is the key to Becoming skilled at using that tool and eventually using it will be so natural and automatic that they won't even have to think about it anymore. This is the key to fluency. How do we help our students accumulate and organize new words and become fluent in their use? Students show that studies show that networks of words tied conceptually are the foundation of productive vocabulary. Why? Remember the toolbox analogy? They know which box to look in, they'll be able to find the right tools for the job. Writing and illustrating the meaning of vocabulary words is a good start, like making a list of tools in your garage and where they're located. But in order to make connections among word concepts, they also need to understand their uses. Thus, using words in context like they'd use the tools to build, a, build or create a woodworking project is an essential element in vocabulary development. Number five, text comprehension. The whole point of reading is to understand what is being read, right? Vocabulary and experience in order to have a point of reference so students can decipher context is the essential element to comprehension. Thus, I implore you to read to your children from a variety of narrative and expository texts, chosen in part for their ability to expand what children know about the world around them and don't wait for them to become school-aged to do this. 
Also, don't stop reading to them or at least exposing them to audiobooks or read-alouds once they can read by themselves. And provide them with opportunities to communicate their understanding by discussing the meanings they derive from these stories. Ask them probing questions and allow them to do the same. Number six, written expression. This article on Reading Rockets claims that from first grade onward, children benefit from almost daily opportunities to organize, transcribe, and edit their thoughts in writing. I disagree with both parts of this, almost daily and starting in first grade. Writing is your student's opportunity to synthesize all the components we've discussed thus far by using words to communicate their thoughts to others. So to me, asking and answering questions out loud is the first step in the writing process, and to be done daily and started as soon as your child starts using words, much like text comprehension. However, formal writing lessons should begin in first grade and should teach composition in the following stages. First, generating and organizing ideas initially with a group or a partner. Second, producing a draft. Third, sharing ideas with others for the purpose of gaining feedback. And fourth, revising, editing, proofreading, and publishing. Writing is the craft that allows your students to use all the skills we've discussed previously to synthesize something of their own. Composing a written narrative would be like building a birdhouse in order to become skillful at using those tools we discussed earlier. This is an essential, this is essential to reading instruction as, as daily reading is. And yet, this is the component that most home teachers glaze over. Why is that? Let's go back to the swimming analogy. Sitting on the steps watching the other students swim is like reading. Other students are modeling how to synthesize all the components of swimming into the act of swimming. The student on the step learns from the actions of others as we do while we read. However, the student needs a turn synthesizing all that we've been taught, all that they've learned by watching through instruction. They need to leave the step and swim. They're going to be clumsy at it at first, and they won't be able to swim very far without support from their instructor. This is very hands-on for the instructor, and it's hard to give every student the amount of practice time students actually need for success. Well, the same goes for writing. This is the most intensive part for you as an instructor, but it is as important as any other part. Ask yourself, does my writing instruction allow opportunities for my writer to generate and organize their thoughts, produce a draft, share their writing with others for the purpose of gaining feedback, and revising and editing, proofreading, proofreading and publishing? If you ever leave out any of these parts, you need to revise your writing program, and I will probably be speaking more about writing in another podcast. Number seven, spelling and handwriting. Spelling and handwriting are to writing what phonemic awareness is to reading. Students need to know how to make up the letters and spell the words in order to write. This can and should be incorporated into phonics studies, learning the alphabetic code, vocabulary studies, really all the components mentioned thus far. Number eight, screening and continuous assessment to inform instruction. Studies show that instruction that targets the specific weaknesses of a student often prevents later reading failure and facilitates the reading development of most children. This is where you have an advantage as a home educator. You have time and ability to assess your student frequently and use that information for planning instruction that meets your student's specific needs. This includes being aware of your student's independent reading level so that you can suggest and provide books that will increase your student's reading fluency. Number nine, motivating children to read and develop their literacy, literacy horizons. You know this as a parent. 
Students won't do things they don't want to do. So how do we make students want to read? First, provide them with a variety of books and genres. Second, provide books that cater to their specific interests at the time and books, magazines, and other media that cover topics that they are studying and other subjects. Number three, read. Read to them, read with them, read alongside them, read in front of them. Just read. And number four, give them lots of reading choices. Let them decide what they want to read. Those four things should motivate your student to read, but what if they don't? Then try number five, extrinsic motivation. Take advantage of the school-wide reading incentive programs already in place, such as Accelerated Reader, or create your own. Give points for books read and prizes for accumulated points. Publish these results somewhere so your student will have opportunities to share them with people who care about them. So there you have it. While you browse your special order options, be looking for these nine things in order to most effectively guide your students toward attainment of their maximum potential as readers. Phonemic awareness, letter of knowledge and concepts of print and the alphabetic code. Fluency practice, vocabulary development, text comprehension questions and discussion topics. Opportunities to compose all kinds of texts themselves otherwise known as writing, meaningful ways to practice spelling skills and letter composition, opportunities for you to screen and assess your student's progress, thus informing your instructional practices, and finally, motivation. Make it a game by giving points and prizes and make it fun by allowing students to choose which books to read independently. If you happen to find one of these language arts curriculum, if you happen to find a language arts curriculum that is stellar in all nine of these areas, please let me know about it. Otherwise, if you need a little guidance in any of these areas, please contact your resource teacher. They are always happy to help with this. I'll catch you next time here on Vector F.